Welcome to People's Church Podcast. We're going to be talking about a subject today with just simple the word, how to reboot your return, rebooting your return. The fact is, in life, we're always returning. We're constantly on return. There's parts of us that still uh, work against God's work in us, and even when it shows up in relationships, you know, in a relationship of intimacy, you're always on a return. You're never at an arrival destination. You're constantly working at return because there's things in you to push you away from that other person or people. And all the time, these forces are working within us to separate us. So we have to always be on this return mindset. In the scriptures, return is a big, big word. If you, if you have a Bible app, you just put the word in return on search and you're going to be amazed at all of the things that will come up on that word. Because the, the, I think the Lord just recognizes that within us is always going to be new ground for us to yield, old ground that we have to re-yield. Surrender is an ongoing dynamic process of our life. We've been covering how to reboot the things that matter to you since January 1. We started off the year with this, and this is number six, and it will be the finale today. We have covered some very difficult subjects at times, challenging subjects to us, because these subjects are about restarting things in your life that can so easily drift and take you to a place of weakness, place of that's robbing your life and so we've paid attention to these things when it comes to return and restoration in our life look at lamentations 521 says restore us O lord and bring us back to you again see this constant premise that somehow we're always in this mode of returning somewhere you are have drifted somewhere in your relationship to God, more than likely. You may not be as strong as you were a year ago in your faith. You may have taken some real hits this year. You may have allowed things to slide this year in areas of your life. You may have let that go on for some time. The God's, God's always got that call on our heart to draw us back because we are against everything in this world that wants to keep us separated from our Lord. And I think you recognize that. Look at the last part of that verse. It's not just restore us, O Lord, and bring us back to you again. Give us back the joys we once had. More or less, we were in a place. And then now we're here. And it's time to return. When you take a look at the idea of return in the biographies of Scripture, You'll find in the vast majority of biographies, the call to return is consistent and constant. If I was drawn a guy like Samson and talk about him for a minute, who uh, there's a guy that had all of the strength and giftings right from actually birth on. God had given him a special call, special giftings. And he had this things that he had to be true to in a consecrated form. Consecrate means to set apart, to say, this is really on a different level than anything else in my life. I consecrate this. And so he had this things that he had to do. He couldn't let his hair be cut. Can you imagine what the guy looked like? I mean, it would be like just wild. He'd look, he, he'd look really wild 
with all of the hair. I mean, we're talking facial, we're talking hair, uh, you know. I'm kind of jealous just thinking about it. (laughs) You didn't have to laugh that loud. Samson is a guy that was on return, uh, but yet he, he, he actually carried out some really fantastic things for God. But he was always in sort of a return mode. There was always something where there was a drift. There was something that hadn't quite bit deep enough uh, for him and where he moved away from his consecration, that which was separate unto God. And those things separated him unto God. Sometimes you move away from fellowship with other believers. That's a consecrated thing. That should be consecrated in your life. But you'll move away from that, and that places you into a weak position. And so what happens is that we start to move away from all these good practices that are there for us to develop us and make us strong and keep us very strongly intimate, as already has been said, connected to the vine. We are connected to Christ, and it's through Christ that his strength is poured into our weakness. Paul said, Paul said that it is in my weakness. It is in my weakness. That's what the Lord actually spoke to Paul. Paul had this thing he called the thorn in the flesh. It wasn't a literal thorn in the flesh, but you know what, what we're talking about. Things that he just had and he wanted it out. And the Lord told him, no, I'm not taking it. Paul asked three times for the Lord to take out this thorn in his flesh. God didn't do that. And here's the reason. Because, Paul, when you are weak, I'm strong. It's in your weakness that my strength and my power shows up. We have to understand that kind of premise. I was on the, I was on the phone here this week with a, with, with a person, and we're talking about, like, in the night, and a phone call woke me up. And I was talking to a person for an hour and a half. And the whole premise of the conversation was that they were, they were basically in a place of being trapped. And they've had lots of opportunity to turn things, return. But they've never really bitten into the degree that they need to bite. Now, I know you can't talk anybody like that into anything. I can't talk myself into that. And so what you can do is, here's what the scriptures say, and we pray, you can listen, you can give some counsel, but in the end, it rests with that person, does it not? So after an hour and a half, we had some prayer together, and we had read some scriptures and, and uh, given some counsel. And I don't know how it's all going to turn out yet, that story's still being written, but what I do know is that it's on that individual to decide whether they are going to return or not. And returning is a very difficult thing to do. Last week, we talked a lot about uh, uh, humbleness, uh, being connected to our happiness, and they really are. Humbleness is such a critical factor, as we said last weekend, that you must have rebooted in your life simply because this is where the power comes from. That's how you're connected to the vine. Return. I mean, when you think about return, here's Samson. He blows it so bad that he ends up, if you know the story, he had this great strength and he was a great threat to the Philistines who were uh, ruling over the Israelites, the nation of Israel at that time, and treating them like slaves and so on. So he was the kind of guy that was correcting injustices with his physical strength. And he ends up in a situation where the weakness of, in his life finally 
brought him off of the throne of his own strength. His hair was never to be cut, and here it is, cut, shaved. He's been shaved, bald, and uh, so his, his strength is gone. Because of consecration, he gave up what he should hold dear and have set apart to God. And he has his eyes plucked out, thrown into uh, working and hooked up to a millstone, just like a donkey would be. And he walks in his circle all day long, grinding grain, corn, etc. But there's one thing about Samson's life that we have to understand too, is that God's grace is so evident in his life. You see, the fact is they, they shaved his head, but they didn't pull out his roots. And the roots grew. No matter where you're at, no matter how badly you've lost your consecration or, or that you have drifted, the roots of grace in your life, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've placed your trust in Christ as your Savior, your roots are very much alive. And you may have been shorn pretty tight. You know, it always amazes me, these Philistines, they kind of, you know, they got the secret recipe. They got to shave this guy's head. And then they quit shaving it. I mean, it's kind of dumb, isn't it? I mean, I would have had a morning appointment every morning, you know, shave this guy, shave this guy. But the roots started growing the hair back. The consecration can be reestablished in your life. No matter where you've been or what you've done, it doesn't matter what the moment is here. It, it, it only matters the access to the amazing grace and power of God at this moment that you have. Because those roots are there. And the hair can grow again. When it comes to return in the Bible, we think of ones like the prodigal son. Another indication of how there's always part of us that wants to pursue our own paths in life. Uh, and when I say own paths, I mean without any partnership with anyone, including in his case, family, uh, in his case, friends, or even familiar people from his own town or region. He was just cutting loose and cutting out. And he did. Until there's a day when those things tend to change because life has its ebb and flows. It has its ups and downs. There's times when the account is full. There's times when the account is empty. His account was empty. He wakes up one morning in a very despicable job for a Jewish boy feeding pigs and he's eating the same thing because the famine has hit the land. His friends have all deserted him because they were money friends. And it says he came to his senses it's not like his brain finally started working. It means like within him, things came together about where he's at and what he's doing and how his life is. And he says, this isn't what I wanted. And then he begins to think about his father's home and he begins to recognize something very quickly about his father's home and there's that even the servants there, man, they're getting three squares. They, they got a great roof over their head. They've got camaraderie. They've got a, a great place. I'll go back and be a servant. Of course, the father would have none of that and returned him to sonhood. Well, he'd never left it. 
The point is the father welcomed him back as a son. He could never welcome his son back as a servant. A lot of times when we are in a return to God, we often think we have to return less. Or that will be less. What do you need to return from? Is it some immoralities? Is it just that things just kind of got away on you? Is it that you just drifted and got caught up in just living life and God's been kind of not, not first at all? I mean, what is it that you have to return from? You could have been a Christian for decades here. And I guarantee you that there's always a pull to drift. Then there's the religious drift. The religious drift is not a good drift. This was the drift of the Pharisees. This was the drift of, of people that had the structure, but they had no water, no life. That's a big drift. That's the worst drift. Because it's easy to con yourself and to think that, hey, I'm in the middle of things with God here. There's lots of different kinds of drifts. When we drift, the return is going to require that humbleness that we talked about. Today, there's a big subject of interest to believers. And, okay, fine. But a lot of times, this subject has also taken you away from what Jesus is majoring on right now and always has. Here's what that is. See, it's not just, it's not first about Jesus' return, folks. The time now is about your return. This is the time of the message of grace. This is the time of the message of taking the love of Christ into the world. Not figuring out something about that, by the way, you can't figure out because it's not about to be figured out because the Father holds all of that stuff. When you're spending your time focused along what even seems like. A lot of times why we get attracted to these things is yes, the little mysteries. And God will retain every one of those mysteries. But another reason we get attracted to it is because it takes us out of the game. We don't have to pay the cost. We don't have to put others first. We don't have to be stewards of the gospel and the work or the kingdom of God. We're just trying to figure out when the kingdom of God's going to come into its full fruition. You can tell I'm a people pleaser, right? <laughs> Look. Get about his business. You're playing the same game that the disciples played in Acts 1.8. And Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses. You're not my detectives. In Luke 22.31-32, we have a phenomenal scripture. Peter, another guy about return. His name was Simon, and then, of course, he was given Peter, which means little stone. But Simon Peter is one of the great stories of return. He had, a, he had an issue about him that I think is quite common also. 
that can cause us to drift and not really be about what the Lord wants to be about in our life. It says this, then the Lord said, Jesus, this is at the Passover. This is, this is at the Passover supper. Then the Lord said, Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has demanded to have you apostles for himself. He wants to separate you from me as a farmer separates weeds from husks. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. So when you recover, strengthen the other disciples. We have it in another version in a minute, but just in that version, what do we learn quickly about Jesus and Peter? Jesus knew Peter's weaknesses. Peter didn't know Peter's weaknesses. Jesus' grace and love was there fully with a full knowledge of the weaknesses that were housed within Peter. And Jesus has full knowledge of yours and my weaknesses. There's nothing that is hidden from him. He knows every game we play. He knows every misread we got on ourselves or anybody else. And so he confronts him and he says, Simon, I want you to know something. Satan has a game plan. Here's the game plan. Separate us. Separate you and me. That's his game plan. And he wants to do it just like wheat and chaff. So I don't know if you know how they used to do wheat and chaff, but it would be kind of like if you took a blanket with somebody else out into the yard, you put some wheat with the chaff in the blanket, and you do this. It's called winnowing. Okay? When the wind's blowing. And you had to have just the right wind. And the wind would just blow the chaff away and leave the wheat, right? And he's saying, just like that. Now, I don't know about you, but that's like putting you in the middle of a blanket and doing this. How many, how many used to give the bumps to birthday people? Boy, I, I grew up with a bunch of brothers. It was not just hang on. It was throw up. So I know absolutely what chaff and we, how they're separated, Okay. It's by nasty brothers. Is he coming down yet? Somebody grab him. It's not a nice process if you're the one being thrown up and it feels very unstable and insecure, obviously, because you've just left any kind of secure place and you're up in the air. But you're being tested. Peter had an amazing test to go through. And the test was not whether he'd fail or not. He would fail. Jesus knew that. He predicted it. He said it. He said, you will fail. It's not whether you will fail. It's what are you going to do when you fail? Oh, that's a positive note, isn't it? No, it's just like the very first start on January 1 of this series. Perfection is your enemy, not your friend. Because you can't do it. And if you keep believing you can do it, you'll hide all the chaff with the wheat. I love this last part of that phrase. So when you recover, let's read it in a different version. This is in the message version now. Simon, stay on your toes. Peter, Simon, Peter, stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me like chaff from wheat. 
Simon, I prayed for you in particular that you not give in or give out. Oh. To what? He was going to fail the Lord and deny him three times. Jesus knew this. In fact, he's going to tell him in the next verse. See, the failure, we think failure is where we can't hold the perfection model, but failure is where you cannot respond to grace. And you can't live by grace because you're still choosing to think somehow it's on you. And you need God's strength. You need to be tied in with the Lord to have that kind of strength because you have weaknesses and God knows all about them. And yet he can use a Samson. Not give in or give out. Not give in. But he did and Jesus knew he would. No, no. You're reading it wrong. Not give in to when he sees his weakness, when Peter realizes that he's not as strong as he thinks he is, when he comes to the reality test and finds out his reality on himself has been so misread, is he going to at that time give in and, and he's going to end up not just having failed, but now practicing failure by moving away from his faith? Or would he by faith still live in the grace that God's got, trusting the heart and the promise of Jesus? The give out is quit. Give in, give out. When you have come through the time of testing, that's really important. When you have come through the time of testing, because you're going to go through it, buddy. You're going to deny me three times before, before the rooster crows in the morning. Twice. Peter says, there's no way I'll do that. There is no way I would do that. There's no way that I would drift. There's no way that I would lose my footing. You don't understand. I was raised in a Christian home. I would never lose my, my, my footing or my drift. You don't understand. I've been a Christian for many years. I would not go into drift. You're always got drift pulling on you. We all do. And it's our responsibility to make sure that we are returning into consecration, consecrating the things that Jesus has asked for. When you have come through the time of testing, turn to your companions, and I love this, and give them a fresh start. See, when you're good at fresh starts, he says, when you get your fresh start, Peter, I want you then to go to your companions and give them a fresh start. What's he saying there? You're all in the same stew. And you're going to need each other to give each other a fresh start. When you've had fresh starts, that is just gold for others. So what causes believers to fall away, to drift like this? Well, number one, we find in Peter's life, we'll stick with him a bit, is overconfidence, which is like arrogance. Peter didn't even recognize that about himself. But yet it shows up on many different occasions. Doesn't he know that he's talking to a woman and a Samaritan woman at this well? Doesn't he realize On that 
day of the Lord's Supper. After Jesus talked to him of that, Simon, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said to him back, even if everyone else stumbled, how'd you like to be in the room? You know, even if, if, if you stumble or you stumble or you stumble, I'll never stumble. How do you feel about that, eh? Just keep your polar right. You'll find me stumbling somewhere, no problem. That's arrogance. And it comes out of your own strength. You're, you're drawing, that out of, you're drawing a, a conclusion out of that rather than to say, like Paul, saying it's actually through my weakness that his strength is going to happen. His power is made perfect through my weaknesses because I'm weak. I can become powerful because in my weakness I rely, I lean on Jesus. I must be in the vine. That's humbleness. Arrogance is I don't need the vine. It's a tag on. Just give me a few grapes off it once in a while. Another one is laziness. He came back. This is just hours later. They've gone to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. The day before, of course, Christ's crucifixion, trials and crucifixion. The weekend of his resurrection is underway. They're praying. Jesus leaves them at a little ways off from him, probably from about me to the back of that room. And he prays. And you know Jesus' prayer. The others, he said, just, just pray. Be over here and pray. So he comes back. Listen, read it. He came back and found them sound asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, you went to sleep on me? Can't you stick it out with me a single hour? Stay alert. Be in prayer so you don't enter the danger zone without even knowing it. Don't be naive. What's going on here? Jesus is challenging their consecration. Part of you is eager, ready for anything in God, but another part is as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. By the way, put me in front of a fire for five minutes, and I'm tired and whatever, and... <laughs> Laziness is, doesn't mean you don't have energy for things in your life, but you're lazy about the things that maybe matter the most. All the energy is spent on the things that don't matter the most and then the things that do matter the most. We end up not having the energy or using the energy for that. And in this part, Jesus is challenging him in his consecration saying, you know, you've been busy about a lot of things here, Peter, but you weren't prepared to spend an hour with me in prayer. Another thing that we find in this story with Peter is the fear of cost. In Mark 14, 53 to 54, it says, they led Jesus to the chief priests. It's going to be the trials now. They led Jesus to the chief priests where the high priests, religious leaders, and scholars had gathered together. 
Take a note of this. Peter followed at a safe distance. Fear of the cost. So he follows at a safe distance until they got to the chief priest's courtyard where he mingled with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. So we get him hiding. We get him looking after himself, being warmed on a cold night by the fire. And then he ends up, of course, denying the Lord after this three times. And then their eyes meet. And Peter busts up breaks down all of his pretend strength, all of his pretend religious strength melts away and he runs. What is Jesus' response to this? You know, when you and I are confronted with our weaknesses, that we have misread and thought their strengths and we're so strong and then we're surprised. You know, the idea is don't give up because all of a sudden you get, you know, 2020 on who you are and your need of God's power and life in you. Don't ever give up. Because of this, Jesus' response is grace. Look, he already knew what he was going to do. He even told him, you're going to deny me three times. Peter, you, you just don't have the right picture of who you are yet. I know your weaknesses better than you know your weaknesses. All you know is your perceived strengths, Peter. It's nice that you think you love me and you say that because you love me, you would die for me. But Peter, you won't even stand and declare me in a high-pressure situation to a waitress. Romans 8, 1 says, so those who are believers in Christ Jesus can no longer be condemned. Jesus didn't bring condemnation to Peter. In fact, they met some days later. They were having a fish barbecue down by the shore. And Peter and him are going to have a little private exchange. And do you remember what Jesus asked Peter three times? Do you love me? Now, he'd already declared that on the Passover night when he said, oh, I'll never do that to you, Lord, because you see, I love you. That's the idea behind it. I would never do this. He didn't know that there are things in him that needed to be healed and worked through. There was brokenness needed to be placed before the Lord in a humble way so that healing and good things could start to be built in. He really thought because he had been chosen as one of the special 12 that somehow he was above change. Somehow he was above the need for consecration. Somehow he was above the need of honesty or humbleness. You know, Lord, they didn't respond well in that village to the gospel. I think we should call fire and brimstone down on them. When you are in Christ, 
You are perfect because of Christ's righteousness, and you've got a long ways now to catch up and grow to what you have in Jesus, to become like Jesus, not just to have Jesus as your Savior, but now to become like Jesus. And there's a lot of earth to be moved in our lives and rock to be broken and we can end up in these drifts and we can so cool our faith to such an extent that we can be completely disconnected from the reality of who we really are. But you will only find from Jesus if you've received Christ as your Savior, grace. Yes, Lord, I love you. A little more, few more steps. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. One more time, Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Now, can I just divert? And what about John over there? It's a great question for us. Do we love him? Of course, our first answer as believers is always going to be, oh, well, yeah, I, I love him. And Jesus presses him three times, not just because he denied three times, but to really say, Peter, do you have the right read on your heart now? Do you see, Peter, that without being tied into me, Peter, you don't have the power, you don't have what's needed? So why no rejection of believers? Why doesn't God reject people that have put their faith in Jesus Christ? And then they actually fall away. They actually do things they'd never think they'd do. They go to places they never thought they'd do. They say things they never thought that they would say. They end up with a list of things and they're wondering, I never thought I'd be here, but you are there. What is his response? It's grace. Because there is no condemnation for those who are believers in Christ Jesus. You can no longer be condemned. You see, why no rejection of believers is because you have a love without conditions. He took all the conditions off his love for you. Well, if you, if, you know what, it, you, 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 you're going to receive me as your Savior. That's great. I'm glad that I'm in your life and that, you know, you call me Lord. And now we're going to work that all out in your life and so on. And he doesn't have conditions on there saying, but, you know, the moment that you take one step too far or the moment that you trip up or the moment you do this or the moment, then, you know what, I'm out of here. No. It's love without conditions. Look at Lamentations 3.22. His compassion never ends. It is only the Lord's mercies that have kept us from complete destruction. I don't know about you, but that absolutely amazes me that there's a love that exists without any conditions at all. Not one, not one condition. Not how I treat him, not what I say to him, not when I hide from him, not when I run from him, not when I completely ignore him, not when I treat that which cost him his very life as something that's very, very common. Not when I forget who he is, his address, or his name. It's a love without conditions. 
The second thing is that you, you, you are saved from your performance. Titus 3.5, he saved us not because of the righteous things we have done. That's your performance. But because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. And so, basically, this verse tells us right here is that you are saved from your performance. Your performance now does not affect the idea of saved. You are saved by grace. You are kept by grace. Another one is your punishment is already completed. God is a just God. He is not going to, in the case where you have received the payment for your sins, exact a second payment from you. Because your punishment is already completed. 1 John 2, 2, when he served as a sacrifice for our sins, he solved the sin problem for good. For good. Not only ours, but the whole world's. He does not, next, misunderstand your weakness. He knows you in and out. He gets it. He gets it. He does not misunderstand your weakness. He does not misread you. He has the absolute, pure, truest read on who you are and who you will be and what you're becoming and every choice that you're making. He gets it all. And the only thing he's bringing back to you is grace and love. And he's saying, keep returning. Keep returning. Return from where you went yesterday. Return to me because you went here. Return to me where you were this last week. Return to me, he's saying. Just keep returning to me. You don't get caught up in being tired in your own pride of your own weaknesses. Don't get jilted in that way. Instead, what you want to do is know you need grace. And the more you recognize you need grace, the less the focus is on your sense of shame, uh, your sometimes not great decisions and choices. You don't need to bank shame and guilt here. You do need to learn how to live in a grace that has no conditions on its love except the receiving of the gift. He knows your weaknesses. Hebrews 4.15, this high priest of ours, meaning Jesus, understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. We did. But he understands your weakness. He understands those decisions that, that you've made. And that's why he only deals with you with this compassionate grace. Another is that he does not bank your wrongs. He doesn't bank our wrongs. This doesn't have the Nelson list up there and I'm going to wait until you're here and then we're going to sit down and have ourselves a set to on your wrongs, boy. He doesn't bank them. They're fully paid for. Punishment has already been completed. He already knows my weaknesses. Look at Psalm 103, 9 through 13. It was so good. I just put the whole thing in there. Yeah, he will not always accuse us of wrong or be angry with us forever. 
He has not treated us as we deserve for our sins or paid us back for our wrongs. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that is how vast his mercy is towards those who fear him. That means that you have held him in reverence. You receive Christ. As far as the east is from the west, that is how far he has removed our rebellious acts from himself. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. You might even put the word humble in there. Because the fear of God is the humbleness towards God. It's revering. Look at what he does. He says, I've removed and separated you from your sins, past, present, future, so far as the east is from the west. More or less, they never do meet. There's always an east, there's always a west. I, I have absolutely, you know, just put these things in, in as far as heaven is above earth. It's gone. It is washed. You are white as snow. It is over. He doesn't bank your wrongs. So you have a full right to return, not as a servant, but he has, he will return as the son, the daughter of God because of the great grace that you received in Jesus Christ. So let's talk about the final one, which is return then. Let's just do this. Be in a state of return with God. Jeremiah 3.22, come back to me, you unfaithful children, and I will forgive you for being unfaithful. But notice he says children. Didn't slay. He didn't say pagan, or he didn't say, you know, uh, just people that would be outside of God. He's, he's not, he's saying children. Come back to me, you unfaithful children, and I will forgive you for being un, or faithful, un, and I'll forgive you for being unfaithful. Yes, we will come to you because you are the Lord our God. Return. As I draw on to the final scriptures of this, would you begin to think of the areas of drift in your life? Because I want to give you an opportunity at the close of the service that as you might be a very seasoned Christian, but you have drifted. You need to come and return. You say, not me. That's a sign you need to return. How far have you moved? Maybe not even as far as me. This is Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our friend our big brother. This is Jesus who hung on the cross for us. This is Jesus who has a plan for your life long before you arrived on this planet. This is Jesus who values you above anybody else's value of you because he gave his life out of a pure righteous state for you. This is Jesus 
who knows you and he'll say, I know your weakness. But he'll also say, but when you return, Peter, when you return, go and strengthen the other person's hearts in this because they also are drifting, Peter. Go strengthen. What is it you put on the altar of consecration this morning? What is it that you would take and say, this is something that is part of my drift? And you just stick it and place it right on the altar of consecration. That which would be separated unto God and say, I'm separating this from me. It's going here. It's yours. It might be in the moral area. It might be in areas of where you draw your security from, your profession, um, your gifts, your money. What is it? What is it? What goes on that altar of consecration this morning? Where God, this is yours. I consecrate it to you. This is the one that's constantly will pull me away from you. I recognize that because it requires things from me that, that, that I, I just continuously give to it. I don't have the boundaries. I don't have with this particular thing, the thing that, the, the thing that I need in restraint or wisdom. I, it, it draws me along. And it might even be a good thing. Nothing wrong with the thing itself, but the place you've given it is threatening the consecration of your life. It weakens you. Because you serve it rather than consecrate it. You must consecrate the great things of your life too. Set them apart. Return. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul once again is writing... And he's writing to a church that is very wealthy. Corinth was a wealthy city. Uh, Corinth was a trading city. Um, it, it was a, a city of, of great uh, uh, economics all the way through. And this church had some severe issues. It was consecration issues, which led to drift, which led to bad things emerging Just like it can in our individual lives. It can happen in a church. It can happen in a family. It can happen. Because we aren't putting those things on the altar. We're not consecrating those things. And if you don't consecrate it, you give it power. If you consecrate it, you give the Lord power. And he will return power to you. Paul is speaking to the church and he's calling for them to understand this kind of relationship of serving God with, as, as, as a great servant, as a great son and daughter of God and, and how blessed that they are and uh, stuff. And he's saying, look, you're going to have a lot of tests and trials. You're going to have these things come your way, but you don't have to be in this, in this destructive uh, or in a destructed state. You really just need to be you know, in, a, in a place where you experience realities, but you emerge through them. Look at what he says here. He says, we have this treasure from God. He's meaning Christ. He's meaning salvation. He's meaning the spirit of God and the power that he brings. We have all of this. But we are like clay jars. 
Clay, he's speaking common. You're just common. It's not your jar that's special. He's saying it's not your jar. It's the treasure. He's saying we all have received this treasure and it's been placed in these common jars. Just clay. But we are like clay jars that hold the treasure. This shows that the great power is from God. Well, we're just common clay jars. The great power is from God, not from us. We have troubles all around us. He's saying life is filled with troubles. If you're going to walk with God, you're going you're to have a life that's going to have a lot of troubles all around you. But we are not defeated. See the difference? He says you're going to have troubles, but we are not defeated. You have weaknesses, but you don't have to be defeated. Peter had weaknesses, and the Lord prayed for him that he wouldn't be defeated, and Satan would not win in separating Peter and Jesus. And Satan didn't win. In the end, Peter passed the test because of the prayers of the Lord himself. And he's interceding for you too. Because he wouldn't allow it to separate him from Jesus. His guilt, his shame, his pride being broken. We have troubles all around us, but we are not defeated. We do not know what to do. That's confusion. Yeah. We get confused. What's the right thing to do? How do we get through this? How are we ever going to survive that? What, what do we do with this problem? He's saying, yeah, we have troubles all around. We don't know what to do. But he says, we do not give up the hope of living. He's talking about in Christ. We still serve the purposes of eternity. We still have a big reason to get out of bed in the morning. We don't get trapped by all the troubles. We don't get trapped by the confusion of not knowing where to go, how to do this, how are we going to get through. But we become reliant on Christ in us where the power comes from. And we stay reliant on being part of the vine that that living nurture is coming through. And then he says, we are persecuted. There's a lot of that today. You will be persecuted if you will name Jesus. But God does not leave us. We are hurt sometimes. But we are not destroyed. So he's going through all the realities. Look, he's saying, he's saying, look, we have troubles all around us. We do not know what to do. We are persecuted. We are hurt sometimes. But then he finishes the other list and he's saying, but we are not defeated. Uh, we do not give hope up the hope of living. Uh, we, uh, God does not leave us and we are not destroyed. We go through all this, but we don't end up here. We are not separated from our Lord. Okay, you're going through things. The only thing that can separate you is not what you've done, is what you will not do if you will not return. That's the separation decision. Not whether you will drift. Not whether you will have weakness. Not whether you will fail. It's going to be, do not fail in a way that says, I will not return. Returns are a part of how we grow. It's grace that grows us. Our weaknesses are the best area for us to grow in grace because it's in our weakness that his strength is made perfect. It is through that weakness that the power of God is known. So you need more power, you need more strength. 
Don't try and live a perfection model where you say, I don't have weakness. That is crazy. That's Peter in an arrogance. Instead, humble yourself and say, God, I failed. But I, 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 I don't want this to separate us. I'm returning to you in my failure. So that this is not a, a success for Satan who wants to keep you and I apart. Because I won't return. Oh, I will return. I will return to my father. And I will say, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. You say, this is a very strong message. Take it up with him. Because you see, I know every one of us in this room always have a need to be returning. Because drift is like that. And how does the Lord respond? Grace. How did the Father respond to the prodigal? Joy. How did, how did Jesus respond to Peter? Peter, go and serve me now, Peter. You're not second class. You're not coming back less. I don't have a less department. You understand? I don't have a less department, Peter. I want you to go feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. You become my servant even more fully, Peter. You've left that arrogant stand of your own strength. Now let your life be filled with mine. And may your weaknesses be acknowledged so that you can return. And when you return, I promise you that you will receive power and strength because you get my grace. There is never a reason to be separated from your Lord. Don't be. Let's stand together. I've asked you to think of one thing that you put on an altar of consecration. Consecration is a big deal. It's a huge deal. And the things you want to put there first are the things you know suck the life out of you when it comes to your faith and draw you away. Don't be afraid of the cost. Name it before him right now. I just say, this is the area. I know exactly what area. You might have several, just focus on one. Put it on an altar of consecration. One that says, I'm putting this in an altar that's going to separate this to you. It's yours. I've used it for my own stuff. It's now yours. Don't live in this ongoing separation. That's exactly the game plan of he that is the great liar, the great deceiver, and the great enemy of your soul. And trust Jesus' grace. Because there is no condemnation for those in Jesus. And you're in Jesus simply because of his mercy and your receiving of it. Father, as we bow our heads before you,
There is nothing unseen. There is no rock uh, that has not been uh, overturned. There's nothing hidden from you. You know it all, and yet you have given us the best. You have continued to stand looking down the lane and saying, just return. Let's get this on the consecration altar. Let's not let this have any more uh, lasting effect in your life. You constantly are trying to bring us into this place of release where we are putting things on the altar and saying, Lord, it's yours. Maybe it's our business, maybe it's, maybe it's family, maybe, maybe it's money, maybe it's time, maybe it's energy. Maybe, Lord Jesus, it has to do with things that we've wrapped our pride around, around things that we're good at, like things in hobbies or, or just our comfort. Maybe we're just being lazy about the whole thing. Lord, it really doesn't matter, we know that. What matters is that it's not on the altar. And I pray right now, Jesus, in your name, that you'll put it heavy on our hearts to give this to the altar of consecration. Maybe it's something in history. But here's what I want you to do with every head bowed and every eye closed. I never do this. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just in a moment. You just need a challenge. If you're putting something on the altar today of consecration as a Christian, humble yourself and let's see your hand. Every head is down. Every head is down. Every eye is closed. This is your journey. And yeah, I see hands all over. And I would say to you, Trust his grace. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus now that the grace of God, which is more than sufficient for anything in our life, will just come and bring that kind of washing and relief from the things that we are placing on that altar. And Lord, I pray that you'll take those things and use them for your own glory. Even our faults and our failures, you said, you will turn into nothing but good. If you can even just have those. If, you, if we'd even let you just own our weaknesses and our failures, you can turn them to good. I pray, Lord Jesus, that there be such a trust in you exerted in these hearts today so that there can be this wonderful process of creating things that worship and honor God and then we can go out and strengthen the hearts of our brothers and sisters because we receive that grace. In Christ's name, we honor you, Lord. We thank you for your blessings upon our life and we thank you that rebooting our life is just constant. And it's just something that's beautiful because of your unconditional love. So bless this congregation. May the faith grow in them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.